Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. We have a very interesting topic to get into today. One that is actually broader than just advocacy or any one healthcare policy initiative, and that is biologics. If you've been following some of the big news out of the academy, you know that the AAOS is making a strategic investment in the field and will be prioritizing research and development for a biologics-focused competency within the academy's existing business over the next five years. Here to talk about this important program and the regulatory landscape of orthobiologics are two members of the AAOS Committee on Devices, Biologics, and Technology, or DBT. We have Dr. David Jessavar, who is the chair of the committee and chair of orthopedics at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. We also have Dr. Raymond Golish, who is the chief medical officer for HCA Healthcare JFK Hospital in Palm Beach, Florida. Welcome to you both, and thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Kristen. Now, this is a really interesting area for the AAOS to be in right now, when patients, surgeons, and other healthcare specialists are all trying to navigate the field. So, Dr. Jessavar, as chair of this committee, why don't you briefly explain what the AAOS Biologics Initiative is and why we're in this space? Sure. Well, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, as we all know, has a a long and rich history of working in research and development and also looking at evidence-based medicine. We've had our clinical practice guidelines, our appropriate use criteria for quite a while. And as we've been surveying the landscape, one of the things that is definitely affecting our patients and orthopedic surgeons and other musculoskeletal healthcare providers is the field of of biologics or or specifically orthobiologics, those which really impact us in musculoskeletal care. And to to many of us, the concern is that it's become a little bit of the wild, wild west of uh, healthcare delivery in, in musculoskeletal areas. And by that, we mean that there are a lot of interventions out there, but that the efficacy of some of these uh, interventions are really unknown. So based on feedback from our membership, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons Board of Directors uh, strategically decided to invest in in creating uh, a committee, our committee of the Devices, Biologics, and Technology Committee to look at this area of biologics and specifically to to look at the research that exists, uh, to look at what's happening at the FDA with regulatory and compliance issues, and specifically to develop evidence-based content uh, for orthopedic surgeons, for our patients, and how we can use that content to apply it to the care of our patients. Dr. Golish, I understand you're very well-versed in the regulatory process. Uh, So why don't you walk us through how the FDA reviews biologics and what ways it might be different from any other product or device and and why that's the case? Well, you know, I'd like to start out with the motivation here, Kristen, because, you know, most practicing orthopedic surgeons are focused on their patients. They're not particularly interested in regulatory affairs and that's totally understandable. Uh, The great news though, is that the Academy is and convene people with a particular interest in it, like myself and Dave, the 
chair of the committee um, to do that on you know the behalf of the fellowship as a whole. And the reason why that's so important is because when you're in this space, you realize that surgeons, we, the academy, are the primary advocates for patients in a multi-billion dollar game of chess between regulatory bodies and regulated industry. And that's so important because our space, orthopedic surgery, is uniquely technological. Technology helps us help patients. And so the academy does that on behalf of the fellowship as a whole so that the practicing orthopedic surgeon doesn't need to be preoccupied with regulatory matters. But because we're passionate about this, I think they're interesting. And I can explain it just kind of concisely. So most orthopedic implants, set aside biologics for the moment, orthopedic implants, total joints, fracture plates are regulated as a class two medical devices. They go through a pathway most people have heard of called the 510K pathway, uh, and that results in pre-market notification. There's some technical terms of art and buzzwords. That means that a device, a fracture plate, is substantially equivalent to some prior predicate device and fracture plate. And that equivalence is proved by what are called general controls, meaning the nature of the metal that's used, and then special controls, meaning you put them on a bench, test them, uh, do wear testing, simulation testing, and prove that uh, it's a high quality device. And so that's great. We use those all day long. Now, how that class two device and the 510K pathway relates to biologics is that some of the machines we use at the point of care to make biologics are regulated that way, such as PRP machines. That a PRP machine is essentially a gussied up centrifuge, and that's regulated as a class two medical device through the 510K pathway. When you go up from there, you get a class three medical device, so-called pre-market approval, and that's relevant to biologics because the recombinant osteobiologics that are used to fuse the spine, used to fuse the ankle and hind foot, have been regulated as class three medical devices. And to do that, you have to have major randomized pivotal trials and uh, go before the FDA and demonstrate that your device is not only safe, but effective. And it's interesting that the fusion products have gone that direction because they are, in fact, drugs, drug device combinations, and are regulated jointly by several different uh, aspects of the agency. So that's two kinds of biologics we just covered as devices. Uh, the last two kinds uh, are where it gets interesting and, in fact, a little uh, confusing at the end for some. Uh, now, you can go through the Center for Biologics and get what's called a biologic license application. In orthopedics, uh, the autologous chondrocyte implantation technology has gone this pathway, and this is a heavyweight regulatory pathway. You have to prove safety and efficacy. But it's the last category uh, that generates a lot of the controversy. This is the category called HCTP. That just means human cell tissue product, HCTP. And that there's a pathway in there called the 361. The problem with the 361 is that in order to do that, the vendor simply needs to declare, uh, we think our product is a 361 and they need to demonstrate that they can safely handle tissue. Uh, but then they're allowed to enter the market. The question is, are they entering the market for a good indication? Do they have good evidence to support that? And does the FDA actually agree that they are a 361? And that's what some of what the dashboard, which we'll talk about, educates the surgeon about. It tries to take the technical portion I've just given you and make it really digestible, simple, easy to use for the practicing surgeon who's not particularly preoccupied with regulatory affairs.
That's an excellent summary. Clearly, uh, there are, it's a very complicated process. And I think you spoke to a really important point, and that is the motivation why the regulatory landscape matters. Our, our surgeons are, are looking at this field with the goal of trying to improve patient care. So uh, you mentioned this dashboard. Um, the AAOS and your committee, the DBT committee, just launched this AAOS biologics dashboard to help our membership navigate the uh, status of, of various uh, biologic products and uses. So Dr. Jeff Savar, um, can you expand on that a little bit, how the AAOS biologics dashboard ultimately helps our members improve patient care? So I think that we all struggle with the same issues associated with anything that really comes to market, but especially in this area of biologics. We have somebody that shows up in our office or somebody that sends us an email or somebody that calls us and they want to discuss some intervention that that has been developed and they think it may be applicable to the patients that we treat. The problem that many of us have is we don't know if those products that, that are being discussed with us, A, have gone through any type of clinical research, meaningful clinical re- research, or any type of trial to show that there's efficacy associated with it. We don't know what the compliance and regulatory aspects are associated with the FDA. And so there's this whole gray area of we want to do the right things for our patients. And we certainly believe there's lots of, uh, uh, you know, our aspirations with biologics is that there's lots of future opportunity to improve our patient care with them. But we want to make sure that we're separating the science from hope right now. And so the idea of the dashboard is taking the FDA regulatory guidance uh, for what we know that exists right now on the market for these biologics. And we've created a, a website and our team has created a website pr- primarily with, with, with Ray's uh, uh, backbone for, for this work. But we've created a, a dashboard that will give at least some of this information. And the information that we're giving on the dashboard are we are looking at directly from the FDA what the regulatory guidance has been for a product. Uh, There are some holes with this because, as Ray just pointed out, not everything goes through the same approach to to make it uh, into the market. So that's part of the the struggles that we have. Um, But we try to highlight that where we're able to. And we tried to make it as user-friendly as possible. So we kind of created a red light, yellow light, green light process to this. And a red light would tell you that whatever product you're looking at, if we give it a red light, that means it's not been approved for the indication that you're interested in using it for. If it has a green light, there's clearly some FDA regulatory guidance, some information out there, likely some clinical information out there to show that there's efficacy of this treatment. Um, And those are the areas that you can pretty much move forward with your patients and treating your patients and know that you have uh, at least some strong support for moving forward with it. The yellow area is really the, the yellow light area is really the, the, the main area that we are going to focus on with our committee in the future. And these are areas where either A, uh, there, there may be regulatory guidance on a, a topic like PRP, where there are applications of uh, PRP that are entirely appropriate, have lots of evidence to support, but PRP may be applied in lots of areas where there isn't that support, there isn't that guidance right now from the FDA. So that would be a yellow a light. Uh, the problem, and, and Ray can certainly expand on this, for many of these areas, the FDA is not explicit about which pathway 
um, some of these uh, products have have come down. And so it's it can be challenging for us to really define this as we move forward. But that is the intent uh, and kind of the rationale for us developing the dashboard. Ray, is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, that's a great summary, Dave. The thing I'd like to tack on is that when we designed this uh, under Dave's leadership, we really had three goals. You know, our first goal, as I've alluded to, is just to keep it simple, easy, and to be honest, fun to use. You know, for the practicing surgeon, it should be it's it's a it's a beautiful and efficient interface. And in order to get useful information out of it, you just have to put in a couple of basic facts. What's the tissue? What do you intend to use it for? Some minimal information about how is it processed. And so that's the easy to use piece. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we really wanted to stick close to the source material. These are not just our opinions as experts, although we certainly are that. Uh, we stick close to the source material that is regulatory and evidentiary. And there's a reason why. It's because the regulatory piece really establishes the guardrails for what's legal and possible in the United States. It tells us what can actually touch a patient. And so that's really important to stick to. And then the evidentiary piece I emphasize because if you have a class three medical device or a biologic license application, you have to produce really high quality scientific evidence in order to get that. And so some of the best evidence available around biologics is the pivotal randomized controlled trials that have been done for regulatory purposes. So that's a nice source of that information. You don't have to go searching around on PubMed for it to be uh, right in front of you. And then, you know, the third thing we really wanted to do um, is about what uh, Dave said about the yellow light. In the absence of a true consensus around something being a green light, a go, or a red light, a stop, in the absence of that, we wanted to synthesize that information in a really clear, concise, and simple way so that the practicing surgeon can just be informed and can inform their patients about what they're doing, why, what's the rationale, and how it might help them. Kristen, the other thing I would add to that is uh, the other thing that the yellow light methodology does for us is part of what our committee, uh, part of what our, our goals are and what our governance structure is and part of what our um, uh, stated um, directives are is we are going to be doing something called a technology overview where we look at some of these areas and we try to synthesize the evidence that's out there. So think about for our members, think about our clinical practice guidelines and us doing the evidence review uh, as we do in a clinical practice guidelines. We're not going to make any recommendations, but we want to provide you a source of at least the existing information in an area so that you might be able to make some of your own decisions about the uh, implementation or the efficacy of any given product. So what I'm hearing you both explain is that um, this dashboard right now is that educational tool um, and that in having this, this place where our members can gain that status, um, part of Part of that is that we're wanting to collect the evidence-based data, right? We're trying to get more data from our membership on how this is being used. Um, and then you were just speaking to a, another question I have for you both, which is how advocacy is going to become a component there. Um, so I'm just curious, and maybe this question is for you, Dr. Golish, where do you see there being opportunity um, for the AAOS to advocate in the future and have the most impact in this area? Is it in the review process itself, the promotion of evidence-based medicine, the way they're marketed? Uh, what's your take on that? 
Well, I'd like to start with kind of a personal anecdote and comment of that I always appreciate uh, orthopedic surgeons who get involved in things evidentiary, regulatory, or industry-facing because our help is needed there. Uh, in all my travels within that community, I can tell you that uh, the surgeon advocacy on behalf of the patients, us playing the patient card, is very much sought after and desired. So anybody who has an interest in that to advocate, I, I think that's a welcome impulse uh, among the fellowship as a whole. Uh, for areas that need specific attention, I think clarifying what constitutes a 361 HCTP, that fourth category I mentioned, the things that have generated so much controversy, uh, amniotic products, st stromal vascular fraction products, uh, we know what they are. Uh, and I say controversy because um, there might be some very uh, useful scientific products and information that comes out of that, but we just have to clarify it. In the current regulatory framework, uh, there's not a lot of motivation to do the hard science that we need to think concretely. And I think Dave may be the same, but I personally believe in and am an advocate for biologics. I personally believe they can really help transform patient care in the future. But in order to get there, we have to have very high quality scientific data and certain regulatory pathways promote that and require it. And other regulatory pathways give uh, people kind of a disincentive to dig that deeply. So I would like to see more research, high quality research, in order to really fulfill the promise of biologics, as Dave said, to separate the hope from the science. And I would just add to that, I think from an advocacy perspective, and Ray over the years has worked hard with the FDA, we would just like the FDA to be quite explicit on what it takes for something to move to market and what it means if the FDA has moved forward with uh, you know, accepting an application to introduce a, a product to the market. We'd like that to be explicit, transparent. We'd obviously like to have as much input into that as we could, um, but we'd really like to understand it better so we can give appropriate guidance to our members and our patients. Absolutely. And I, I just want to remind our listeners that we do have a team in Washington that regularly works with the FDA on various healthcare issues. And although we don't have any active biologic advocacy projects at this time, we're always monitoring the policy landscape for opportunities to comment or engage with regulatory agencies. And another thing I do want to tease for folks listening is um, that your committee, the DBT, was working on uh, bringing the FDA and hosting a sort of town hall for our membership at our annual meeting. Is that correct? That's something we're still trying to host in the future. Absolutely. And this is really, uh, you know, in 2020 and the annual meeting having to be paused, uh, in 2021, we have a real opportunity to continue the momentum around the town hall. Uh, this is a three-way meeting among the AOS leadership, the FDA leadership, and industry leadership to see how can we work together to better help patients. And that's really the spirit of goodwill. And it may seem that these relationships are adversarial, and in some ways, we're on uh, different sides of a fence, but in the middle is still patient care. And I think that the people involved, the leaders involved at the academy, FDA, and industry really believe that. And let me use that to springboard uh, to say that this will be a town hall 
at the annual meeting 2021, and it will be very well attended. We're very much looking forward to hosting that. Um, on your point about advocacy in Washington, D.C., Kristen, uh, I think we collectively, the Academy, have a wonderful relationship with our colleagues at FDA. Uh, I've known some of them for years. I respect them. I consider some of them friends, and they're mostly good people trying to do good work, and that uh, counts for a lot. So in addition to our work with the FDA, as I've mentioned, our Advocacy Council is also monitoring opportunities to work with Congress. Um, And I know that one of the areas that we have looked at to making progress in this space of biologics is uh, in our partnership with OREF and to get more federal funding to better inform uh, the practice of care and regulation. So Dr. Jessifar, can you talk about that partnership and why that's also an integral part of this initiative? Sure. I think as we as we look at biologics and we realize the the holes that exist in, in the evidence that's out there, we make recommendations to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and we create something called the Unified Research Agenda. And on the Unified Research Agenda right now, biologics is towards the top of that agenda. It's something that we think is important and we think that the federal government needs to be supporting additional research initiatives and providing funding for that. The Academy has also taken a a stance and moved forward working with the Orthopedic Research and Education Foundation to establish a series of grants that will be biologics directed. The first of those grants is just recently being been announced and it is looking at uh, injectables for knee osteoarthritis. So the Academy isn't only just talking about this and advocating for it, it's also putting its money where its mouth is on this topic. And then secondly, we are also looking at it from a registry standpoint. Uh, The Academy's registry uh, initiative has gone really well, and we view it important to also establish some registry initiatives associated with the use of biologics to provide better evidence, better research as we move forward. Um, And we will continue to advocate for both of those areas. Well, I know there's so much more to come on this topic, and I'm sure that we will have you both on the Bone Beat again to provide those updates. Um, so really looking forward to that. So thanks for coming on the show. Um, if our member listeners are interested in learning more about this initiative or in using the dashboard, please visit aaos.org biologics and stay tuned for the next phases of this exciting initiative. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org advocacy.